0: Welcome back. I'm excited today. My guest is Howard Neal Glasser, and he's the founder of the Children's Success Foundation and the creator of the Nurtured Heart Approach. Howard's background in family treatment, clinical studies, and educational leadership, along with his work with some of the most intense and challenging children, is the basis, the approach that he has now brought to many. He has been referred to as one of the most influential persons working to reduce children's reliance on psychiatric medications. His work is inspiring a growing number of educational and treatment initiatives worldwide and has been featured on CNN, Esquire, and more. Howard is also the author of 18 books and he told me currently working on 1920 including Transforming the Difficult Child, a long-standing bestseller on Challenging Children and he's a sought-after keynote speaker in areas of treatment, educational, and inspiring greatness. Nurtured Heart is currently being researched by Rutgers University, the University of Arizona's Zuckerman School of Public Health, and the New Mexico State University. Currently, Howard teaches certification trainings on the Nurtured Heart Approach for the Children's Success Foundation, as well as guest lecturing at Andrew Wiles Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona, and their School of Public Health's new Transformational Wellness program. It is my great pleasure to welcome you, Howard.
1: Hi, Roman. It's a pleasure to meet you as well. Thank you so much.
0: Well, I'm excited to dive in. Um, as you know, I've been studying uh, ADHD, and I've been talking, deep diving, talking to a lot of experts on uh, ADHD, uh, You know, psychology, and so forth but I'm really excited to talk to you because what you teach and what I've read about the nurtured heart approach really touched my heart and spoke to me directly because I've always been feeling that there is more that we can do than just medicate our children, you know, label them and medicate them. So perhaps uh, maybe let's start at the beginning. How did you create or how did you come up with the nurtured heart
1: approach? Um, I stumbled on it and here's how i i was not out to develop an approach um, i i wasn't culling the research for components and theories to plow into a new you know philosophy or practice um, the way it happened was i was a phd clinical psych student nyu um long time ago and And then I innocently took a year off before I finished my doctorate to do my childhood dream of woodworking, which turned into, innocently turned into 15 years of fascination with, you know, wood and cabinet making. And um, I, I, you know, I never looked back. And so um, when I eventually, you know, settled down, began a family, um, and shook off all the sawdust and fumes and decided to give, give it a whirl of getting back in my field of study. I got a job at a family practice clinic and I had studied many approaches to uh, clinical work and I... Um, I think what shook loose over 15 years of being outside the field was I wasn't as deadly loyal to every, uh, um, everyone I had studied. So when I tried approach A, B, C, D, E, F, G, when, when I realized it didn't work, I let go. When I realized I was in a room with real people, with real issues, with their children. That's what the clinic, you know, uh, that was the feed of uh, of referrals our clinic got. Um, When I realized the advice I was giving them was actually innocently making things worse. I kept letting go, trying to find the next try, trying to find the next approach. Finally, you know, it's gonna sound like a Seinfeld tape. Uh, I had nothing if you know that reference, you know, I, I, it was just me and the family and the kid who was driving them crazy. And I began to see that there were things the parents said often unbeknownst to them that pushed the child away. It was almost like the child, you know, got blasted by some unseen force and, And I also simultaneously saw there were things parents said, unbeknownst to them, that drew the child in and and created some closeness. And and I began to realize that there was an energy running underneath what people thought they were saying. Um, So... um, I'd wake up in the middle of the night with ways of explaining that to parents, and and that's that was my agenda. It wasn't to create an approach. I mean, I I I kept honing it, and I kept getting listening to my inner advice, and I kept honing this. And it, you know, after two years of working with kids who were primarily um, ADHD, and seeing that the same intensity that drove parents crazy and that that manifested in symptomatology when they first came to me, six weeks later, three months later at most, was the same, in, the same intensity that was the source of the child's greatness and that this kid didn't need medication, they didn't need a remedy, they didn't need pathology or diagnosis. Um, after two years of working with primarily ADHD kids uh, and, and coming to feel like those kids were easy to turn around, then I started getting the next level up. I started getting the case managed kids, the kids who were in, in um, more long standing dire straits, and the kids who had, had uh, uh, much more concerning much more deep in 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 symptomatology and and then i got to just notch up what i was doing and hone this and you know it wasn't until five years later that i remembered that i had offered a friend of mine was looking for a name for something and i we were all kind of having this group meditation and i just suggested to him nurtured heart approach i remembered That and I thought, well, that's a perfect fit. I'm gonna call it the nurtured heart approach. So in no way, shape, or form was I out to create an approach. It created me. And uh, you know, I I innocently believe that I, I jokingly say it's my daughter's fault. She 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 willed me to be ready for a great being like her. So really the as the approach developed, it became about it came to be about a deeper level of appreciation beyond thank you, good job, a deeper level of seeing or letting our hearts see the beauty of that individual, see the greatness that's always staring us in the face, that never isn't staring us in the face. It's just that if all we have is normal, limited, conventional, you know, um, theories of parenting, and practices of parenting, it's hard to get to that. It's hard, it's hard to take advantage of that. And, you know, I could. I'll give you an example by picking on you, Roman, you know, you, what you've been doing superbly is you've been listening deeply. You've, I want to give you credit for creating the space for that to happen. I don't take that for granted. I've been in a lot of interviews and, and, uh, and I've never so beautifully been given the gift of the space to say what I just said as an introduction. Somehow you hold that space that reveals to me that you are both a deep thinker and a uh, a a uh, someone who uh, is is giving the gift of desiring to know other people's point of view, mm. and um, I'm not sure what I would call that. It's it's the greatness of it. it, it there's a tenacious beauty to that quality of of. Uh, of enjoying um, holding dear to uh, developing a bigger uh, vista, a bigger um, um, vantage point. And, well, and I see that greatness in you. Well, I, I appreciate you
0: saying that. First of all, you're speaking my love language of acknowledgement, so that's beautiful. <laughs> thank you. and And I will say that, in turn, um, well, if that's called picking on me, then I would love to be picked on by you. Um, but what I, what I saw was, when, it was almost a meta level view when you were speaking, uh, when you were acknowledging me, I, I was uh, imagining myself as a child uh, being acknowledged for something that in the moment I'm doing well, because I'm not always this good of a listener, my wife will attest Um, I I do often not have the space to be present, uh, with her. I'm working on that, but I felt acknowledged, you know, myself, I felt like, oh, uh, maybe I am a pretty good person. Maybe I am present and maybe I am someone who gives people that space. So is that in a way I'm assuming that is a big part of the nurtured heart approach to, uh, to speak into the greatness of people, right? To acknowledge them and especially- Yes.
1: Yeah, and, and Roman, especially with kids who are symptomatic. So let's say we have in our, in our presence a child, a 12-year-old who is impulsive, is um, hasty in their, in their uh, decision-making, can often be seen as rude, and disrespectful. Um, it's if it, it's so easy in our culture to be annoyed by that and only see those instances, and that's when we we accidentally wind up saying so much and giving the gift to them because we're just merely trying to correct them and and steer them in the right direction. But kids put two and two together. Oh, I get a greater gift of dad when things go wrong. My. What I've learned along the way is when the problems aren't happening is a uh, field day of opportunity to see the beauty of that child. You know, when the when the disrespect isn't happening, I'm all for parents having a clear rule. No disrespect, Mm -hmm. Um, no blurting out, no, no um, whatever. Um, And 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 I'm. I feel like, like right now, again, let's say you're the 12 year old. I want to say, Roman, you're not. Right now, you're listening deeply. You're being respectful. It's not a question of whether you can or can't. You are that great quality. And, uh, you know, how not great would it be if you were blurting things out right now? How not great would it be if you were interrupting your sister or make annoying her when she's trying to be online for a class? How not great would it be if you were interrupting this podcast? So therefore, how great is it that you're deciding? I want to give you credit for your choice. It's not me who's making, who's, who's, who's doing that. It's you who's doing that. I, I see the beauty of your decision-making and your, and what that reveals to me is your kindness and your loving, your loving heart that, that empowers you to be so thoughtful. I see that thoughtfulness in you. Those are great qualities I see in you. And and the child, I'm looking for, where do you part the seas? How do you, how do you walk through and, and uh, you know, the crud on one side and the crud on the other side and and create a pathway to seeing who this child really is, not yeah. as the bad kid or even the good kid, but the great kid?
0: And so this is essentially you're, you're not uh, waiting for when the problem is to... Um, to point the finger or to maybe add some compliment at the end, but you're, you're strengthening the child's confidence by reassuring yes. him or her that they're, they are great and they can pay attention and they are respectful yeah. when they are.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I love dicey words like hijacking. I'm hijacking this kid. I'm being larcenous. I am, I am confronting this child with who I see. And, and, uh, you know, I'm determined that I'm going to, if I'm on a mission to do that, they can't stop me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Now, what, um, the nurtured heart approach, uh, when I was reading through uh, some of the materials uh, on your website, what I really, uh, what struck me, and it was really wonderful, was to read this word intense uh, again and again. Um, mm-hmm. w- I like that because I think as parents with children that have these symptoms, uh, I, including our own son, he is intense, you know, and I think often in society, we, that, that's a bad word. Like you're too intense. Yeah. Being intense. Yeah. Uh, how come you chose that word? And you, I think you talk about guiding the intense. Where did that come from?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, one way, um, uh, well, I'm familiar with intense cause I was intense And everybody was scared of my intensity and I became scared of my intensity and then as an uh, you know an adult throughout my life I've had to fight to get my intensity back if you if you woke up to me it's commensurate with life force some people just have more life force and uh yes it's not a bad word and you know if your life force disappeared tomorrow would that impact your ability to have a fruitful life? Would it impact on your ability to live your dreams and live your passion? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and so uh, you might not even be able to get out of bed if your intensity went away. We need our intensity. Um, uh, you know, the last thing I want to do is infer to a child, well, you can't handle your intensity, and neither can anybody else. We need to make it go away. So we're putting you... You we're making this decision for you. By the way, you don't have any say in the matter, and you know. And then that that kind of places a wedge between a child and their life force, and then they have a wobbly life. And and I I uh, I want to actually, you know, instead of putting that wedge there, I want to grease the skids so they see the beauty of their own life force. They see the beauty of their intensity. So yeah, it is. To me, it's the perfect word. I, I think people can relate to that word, and and um, it doesn't encounter the same, you know, thrashing that you know uh, more diagnostic words can have. Now, do you
0: feel that medication, in this case, stimulant drugs uh, given to a child with, say, ADHD, that they do? Um squash that life force, that they do create some kind of a pressure cooker that then has children express uh, what they're dealing with, uh, with through anger or or defiance? Is that, you see that? I can, well? I can answer,
1: I, it occurs to me I can answer that in two ways, and thanks for that question. Um, it it reveals your brilliance and your openness, so um, I, 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 do you believe that at best it moderates intensity? It gives a false sense of improvement. So if I'm a parent of a child who's moderately improved because they're, you know, I feel like they're holding on for dear life because these this chemical reaction is is coursing through them. And they don't feel like them their true self. You know, if if I'm a parent of a kid who's improved by way of that, then I'm less motivated to find answers. The child's less motivated to find their own inner strength to to overcome um, and 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 put the in intensity to good use. So that's one way of. of Somewhat answering your question, the other is, I did write something about this a long time ago called. Um, I don't publicize this often, but it's called Hundred uh, Reasons to Avoid Ritalin Like the Plague." And you know, besides all the all the inno- innocent, unintended secondary effects of medication. Um, I, I it was during the time of the movie Supersize Me, I'm sure you're familiar with it as a filmmaker. Yep. Um yep. I I I talked to my friend uh personal physician about the fact that I'm writing this book and we looked at each other and said, let's do a supersize me experiment. You know, can can you can you um uh prescribed Ritalin for me for 30 days or 15 days or 10 days. He said, I'm willing to do it for 10 days, but I, I need to give you a diagnosis. And then he asked me you know, a handful of questions and 10 minutes later I had a diagnosis and I had a prescription in my hand. So, nice. um, you know, wanted to be ethical. And then he saw me five times during 10 days or four times during 10 days. To He was stunned by the physical impact it had on me. What I was stunned by was, uh, and this is really more about my reluctance to medicate a child, is, is um, when I was on medication, I didn't know if I did something well, if it was me at the Ritalin. And I didn't know if I did something poorly, if it was me at the Ritalin. It took me out. It took my trust out from under me. It took my belief myself out from under me i was i i had the luxury of knowing i was going to be off this in 10 days and this weird thing is i didn't like how it made me feel but i looked forward to the next dose anyway it was it was a very strange thing and and the house was never so clean You know, I could do rote things, I could do rote things really well, but I actually put off all the important meetings and phone calls till this was over, because I didn't trust myself to be uh, uh, grounded in my true being and to Mm -hmm. represent what I wanted to say in these meetings. Um, So I, I am cautious. I, I... I'm not. I'm hesitant to say we should we should take it out of the equation. Medication, I, you know, I do think there's kids who are so hyperkinetic that maybe they do need medication. At the end of the day, at the end of a, you know, if, if they still are, are are hyperkinetic, even though they're improved relation, relationally and they they're they've adjusted, some kids seem to maybe prosper from it but you know here's the last kicker is when a kid's on medication before the meds kick in or after they wear off the problems are still there nothing's improved nothing nothing's transformed you know the the problems are still front and center so nothing's changed there's been zero healing You know, I happen to believe that symptoms are called for healing. Symptoms can be what gets people, parents to say, wow, I'm, I'm trying to be a good parent, but I need something more. Let me do some research and see if I get lucky. And, you know, best case scenario, the parent finds something that takes them to a next level of relationship seeing the greatness in their kid and, and bingo, you know, they hit the jackpot because they have their kid back and they, and bingo, they feel good about what they're doing and the kids have their parent back, you know, it's a win, win, win. So yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell.
0: That's beautiful. I love how you, uh, I heard a nuance there that I hadn't heard before, which is that you felt that your trust was pulled out from underneath you. And that you couldn't know if you did, if it was you or the medication that did something well or not. I think that's a very, that's a beautiful distinction. Thank you for that. Um, I actually did the same thing that you did. I recently had my own, uh, supersize me with Adderall and Ritalin and I can relate to exactly what you really. Yep. Yep.
1: Tell me about it.
0: Well, I started on Adderall, uh, extra release and, uh, I was very, on, very focused. My wife even said I was more present with her. That was a bonus. Uh, but I couldn't sleep at night. I, I was up till 4 a.m. My brain just couldn't slow down. And so then they tried me uh, uh, the, the regular Adderall, not the extended, just a uh, quick release or whatever it's called. Um, that one worked for a while, but I started getting headaches. I started getting uh, dehydrated very quickly. Uh, Some mornings I would wake up and I just had this migraine, almost throwing up. So I stopped that. Then I went to Ritalin. Ritalin for me was just, uh, it was a confusing, it was a brain foggy kind of uh, drug where sometimes I'd be focused and sometimes I would not be focused. So Mm -hmm. probably Ritalin wasn't for me. Um, I decided to not continue because I really didn't feel well and I really felt that I don't want to mess with my body any longer, uh, but it yeah. was a, it was a good way to know that's what I would give my child. And I wonder, uh, I know I'm sure there's no studies, but I wonder how many parents that have medicated children uh, have actually tried the drug because if it's really that harmless to a child, then a the parent should have no problem taking it and yeah. uh, and just seeing what it does, so they can actually relate and say, oh, you know, the thing that you feel right after when you take it, yeah, don't worry, that goes away in a couple, yeah, right? So. I think yeah. that should almost be mandatory. I don't know. That's <laughs> reaching here, but uh, why not?
1: Yeah, and in Roman, in the normal. See, so you have um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You you have uh, the empowerment as a as an adult to evaluate your you know side effects and to evaluate you know your course of of uh, of carving your own path and and you, you have jurisdiction over the final say, uh, uh, you know, most kids don't have a vote in this. So normally what will happen is a kid will have a loss of appetite or they'll have, a, you know, an issue with sleeping. And, and then it, you know, as you probably already know, it innocently becomes Ritalin or Adderall Plus. Something yep. for you know the symptoms have the the medications have medication in a way mm-hmm. and and before you know it you're on a, you know you're in a three ring circus then it's not unusual for a child to have anxiety or or depression. I'd been in a room, when my daughter was born, I wanted uh, to take a job that gave me the freedom to get home at 5 o'clock. So I took a job as a case manager, and I, I, it, it was upon, incumbent upon me to attend med reviews. I got to know three uh, local child psychiatrists really well, who were really well-intended, smart people. But you could see the moments of the tumblers clicking in when they innocently started a meeting by saying not how tell me what's going well but tell me tell me how things are going and if the parent dared say well my child's been a little anxious or my child's been a little depressed i actually have been in a room when the doctor said well maybe it's not adhd maybe it's bipolar disorder so then you have a whole host of other more chronic things um i've seen uh I've seen other medication like Prozac or, you know, other strong medications being offered, proffered in the mix. And, and then, you know, you're off to the races. Um and yeah. I, I, I'll fast forward 10 years, you know, becoming a friend of Dr. Wood Whit- of Bob Whitaker and Dr. Bragan and people you've come across mm-hmm. uh, and being at conferences. And there was one conference just by fate where I was sitting at a table with three parents who had been represented as the expert witnesses, Dr. Bragan, Um, and, um, who lost their kids to, it began with Ritalin or Adderall, and um, one, you know, where, where they no longer had their kid because the kid committed suicide. Wow. And I'm not saying that's a common occurrence, but I just happened to, I think, I'm gonna call it given that experience so I could see what's at stake. You know, one kid was test anxious. You know, a young, uh, probably a 10-year-old girl who was an A student and and just driving and participated in everything at school, but was was anxious. And um, whether it was Ritalin initially or some other, you know, drug, um, she, like some kids, feel like they have bugs crawling inside their bloodstream, or they feel like they can't stop it. They can't make it go away. And um, uh, I'd love to know what Robin Williams was feeling when he took his life. I'm sure, you know, medications can easily make somebody feel like they, they just can't make whatever's troubling them stop. And something has just entered into their life that is holding them hostage and it won't go away. And, and the only way out is, is that way out, Um, you know, and, and, and no amount of settlement is going to bring a kid back. Right. So the, right. The, the loss for these, you know, parents, even if they've started a foundation in their child's name, even if they become, you know, an outspoken voice uh, for the sake of whatever, um, you know, it was painful to experience that. Wow. And, and so there's a lot at stake. It's not. It's not so innocent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, a hundred percent agree. And and I recently connected with a a woman out of Australia named Susie O'Hare, and she has just written a Mm -hmm. book. Uh, Her book is called Heal the Mother, Heal the Child. And so very much aligned with what we're talking about. And she, her daughter was diagnosed at age seven down in Australia and uh, uh, later uh, put on Prozac, uh, uh, Ritalin, then Prozac, and then a third medication. And then she started talking about death and had suicidal thoughts that she was eight at the time. And so they, thankfully they pulled her off of it. You know, they, they stopped. And she said that began her journey of, of really digging deep. And um, it just, it breaks my heart because I do research on uh, ADHD online support groups on Facebook mm-hmm. and the amount of children that are, on the the parents that are on there talking about their children between the ages of three to nine that are on three different medications with three different disorders is it's 70% of the, all the parents on there have something like that at their hand. And I just, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's, that's my experience too is, is uh, a social worker in St. Louis said it's, the average is probably three or four medications. It's just within, within a year, within the first year.
0: That, that just, to me, I, I, you know, and I'm asking you as a question, right? Like for you, what do you think, what are we doing to our children? What effects could this have on not society, obviously, but on themselves as adults? Like let's fast forward 16, 20 years from now.
1: What are we creating? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're creating. I'll give it. I'll give an answer from two perspectives. We're creating a, a, a cohort of kids who are are prone to um, feeling they need a crutch. They need something to get by. Uh, uh, Nanette Lambert's work in Berkeley um, uh, long, longitudinal study showed that um, these kids are twice as uh, uh, more prone to, uh, other drugs, stronger drugs, um, substance abuse, they're twice as prone to health. Um, uh, uh, weakening, weakening health patterns like, uh, smoking and poor eating habits. Um, I, I think in my, Non medical, non scientific opinion. I think the body gets toxic and erodes. So I think we're creating a proneness. And I think we're creating, importantly, a cohort of people who don't believe in themselves the way they, um, they, were born to believe in themselves. So, so uh, I, let me entertain a, a weird theory is, you know, if I got to play God for a, a day, you know, and I wanted to save the planet, I probably would avoid one Messiah because that usually doesn't work out well. Um, I I'd create a whole slew of people with more life force. Mm. I, I, you know, I I'd give great inspired parents like you, kids with more intensity, and and on the off chance that you foster that intensity, and then that child becomes a leader, that child becomes a voice, that child becomes a, a light by way of how they hold themselves, and they, they uphold other people in, you know, not only inspired by the greatness that is alive in them, but the greatness they see in others. That's what I would you know, if I could wave my magic wand, that's what I would do. And, and so the risk to, uh, in, in that, from that bigger, weird picture, maybe weird, um, is that we're undermining that gift where we're, we're actually identifying the very kids who are here to help us, who have more of a chance to help us because they have greater life for us. And, and we're, we're taking them out at the knees. You know, I, I think it's innocent. I don't think anybody's diabolical and, and and going. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna undermine all the kids with more life for us. <laughs> They're bad people. Right. I just think our, we haven't caught up. There's lag between what we've known in terms of how to parent, and then the beauty of how to parent kids with more intensity. Um, it, it takes them a, a greater. Um, uh, awareness and perspective and determination it it takes a different set of skills too i
0: guess that's where that term conscious parenting comes in right where people realize we are parenting but perhaps unconsciously uh with with rules or skills that were given to us by our parents who are also unconsciously parenting from their parents and so forth right so in essence absolutely We have to interrupt that pattern. Now, let me ask you a very um, uh, rudimentary question, perhaps. So a lot of parents um, are concerned that their kids are going to be behind in school, right? A lot of these intense children, if they need uh, therapy or they need to do an approach like yours, or most likely, unless you're telling me differently from your experience, uh, are lagging behind in the traditional school system. Uh, have you yeah. seen? Have you seen that change? Do they catch up? Do they just need a different environment? How do they, in the end, quote unquote, turn out? Because that's what most parents want their children to turn out, right?
1: Yeah, and and are you are you filtering in the the, the this moment in time with the uh, online teaching or? Um, um, I, I, yeah, I know we're at a crossroad here. I would say
0: perhaps before that, perhaps sort of more the traditional going to school. And I know it's all changing, which is great, uh, as we speak, but traditionally, if let's say we go back to somewhat of a normal and there's school again, and there are grades and there are academic, you know, requirements, uh, what have you experienced yourself? Have you seen kids, uh, catch up or, or take a different path or what are you witnessing, uh,
1: I, I I actually have, and and I'll I'll factor in something um, some additional uh, criteria is that um, I think teachers enter into that endeavor with the best of all intentions. They wanna they wanna be of service. They want to convey um, uh, curriculum knowledge, wisdom, and they also want to build character in, in, in students. And And my attempt to p- get the truth is that when they're at the School of Education, they're wide open and they're given some lip service to how to, what's gonna, you know, here's, here's how to help the average child, but here's how to help more intense children. But that has not been up to snuff, and and the kids who come their way um, are. Um, if I'm an intense child, I could maybe squeak by in my whole my family, you know, because it's only two kids or three kids or one kid, you know. I'm getting, you know, I could I could uh, I'm getting enough crumbs. Even if all they have is conventional parenting, but once I get to a bigger environment, you know, I'm vying, um, and and I'm acting out becomes my way of getting relationship. It could easily happen, and um, if all if I'm an educator and I with the best of intentions, all I get training on is how to work with normal kids by and large. And, and all of a sudden, they feel an onslaught of these intense kids who are, are uh, competing for relationship, then I'm out over my head. And, and all I could do is report to the school counselor and the, and the administration, you know, these six kids are, you know, in need of evaluation. It's really a setup for the teacher. You know, half of all new teachers quit the field. And that's a, that hurts. That, that we can't afford that. So to me, it's really uh, part of answering your question is, is how do we guide teachers? I've now uh, been doing these intensive trainings and, and trainings of trainers. And, and some of my work, a good, a good part of my work has been in education you know, the people who show up looking for answers are administrators and educators. And um, I've now seen when that whole landslide that I've referred to now is rerouted and teachers are adequately trained for the kinds of kids they're encountering, you know, the level of intensity they're encountering. And actually, the good news is it could be It could be a completely, I am very hopeful. I've now seen whole schools, whole districts reroute how they interface with kids. And and I haven't found this out yet, but I'm I'm determined, Roman, to find out how that affects um, the call for evaluations and um, ultimately, subsequently, you know, the level, the percentage of kids who wind up innocently in the crosshairs of diagnosis. And then, you know, the way things are now, you get diagnosed ADHD, 90% of those kids wind up on medication because nobody knows any different. But when you create... A different flow. You actually, you know, I, I would love to wake up tomorrow and find out. You know, in this uh, Stevens Point school district that's now been doing this for three years, there is negligible, um, low, or no uh, referrals for ADHD and and uh, medication. Wow! That, in, instead of it being the uh, national average of you know, 8%, 10 12%. Right.
0: It's interesting. I've had this hunch recently. It uh, goes back to that metaphor of, you know, if, if, if no one's there to hear it when a tree falls in the forest, right, does it make a sound? Yeah. And, that, and I thought, yeah. well, if parents weren't uh, given the narrative through media, right, through advertising, what to look for, uh, what symptoms to look for, and they weren't told that it's a disorder, would they still say, I think my child has ADHD? Probably not, because they, would, they might say, like back then with me when I grew up in Switzerland, my mom said, oh my God, he has so much energy and it never ends and he's all over the place, right? But she never, there was no narrative that said, oh, your child may have this disorder. Uh, so I think we're doing our, our well, we're doing the parents a, disor- uh, a disservice by broadcasting these, uh, that, that narrative. And we're doing the kids a disorder by predisposing them to this label, right? It's like, sorry, kid, you got a lot of energy. You know, it's coming, you know? And so I just appreciate your work because uh, you really dig into, uh, first of all, the relationship between parents and children is the most important relationship, right? This nurture This this uh, the relationship that's forming there, uh, and then obviously with the community. So wanted to ask you when you work with children and their parents, how do you separate? So are you in a room working with the parents and with the children? Are there moments where the children are not there because you got to talk to the parents and be frank about maybe what you're observing that's not working, their parenting style or in the marriage or how? uh, Mm -hmm. Can you kind of just describe? This fascinating world of the nurtured heart approach.
1: You know, I I was a clinician um, until I started tour. You know, doing I, until I wrote a book uh, twenty years ago, and and then I started doing a seminar tour, and it occurred to me. I'd, I'd, I'd be a lunatic if I had, the, uh, I had to carry the responsibility of families and a caseload in addition to all that travel. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been a long time, uh, but I, I, I do train um, a lot of clinicians. And I'd say in my personal work, I always wanted the kid in the room. I, the child knows everything I'm saying anyway. The child knows. They're, it's almost like you could see in their eyes. They're cheering me on. Yay! Get my parent to do that. Yay! You know, and when their parent, you know, and, and I would be doing a parallel process with the parent because they're really my client. If anything's going to change, it's not because I'm tagging along with the kid all day. It's because um, the 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 essential milieu of the home has changed or the classroom has changed. So I am cheering the parent on. I'm being deeply appreciative of the parent. I'm trying to get them to take a step and then I'm applauding them for the step they're taking. And and I've watched how the children respond and there's been no disconnect at all having the, the kid there. That said, some of my colleagues who I train work entirely with kids. Um, and, and there um, some uh, one colleague uh, who's created quite a stir in the therapy world, um, uh, there's a podcast I could send you, Dr. Elizabeth Sylvester. Um, um, she um, makes it imminent that to be a client of mine, you have to take a cl- online class. To, on this nurtured heart approach to get in the door, and then I'll work with you and your child in support of that mm. going forward. But you need you need to pre-qualify by taking this by 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 taking this approach and running with it, um, and everything in between. So I, I I don't think there's one set way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, I think what I'm most proud of these days is that. Um, there's been larger tests of this, like the state of New Jersey system of care. You know, back when I was a clinician, we'd uh, have kids who were case managed, level two kids, but then the more expensive kids, who were burdens to the system because nobody could handle them. You know, in out of home, in, in home. Um, they became wards of the state by being in group homes or in residential treatment care, the state of New Jersey's system of care that represents all the foster, all the adoptive and all the kids in out of home placements, they adopted Nurture Heart Approach It's part of, uh, through, through Rutgers University, um, it's, it's five years now and wow. they've had, um, a tremendous regard and outcome in terms of how a stronger approach that's geared to uh, more intense kids uh, can can actually uh, make an essential difference in how these kids emerge from the system, how they get back reunited to their families, uh, how they can um, you know affect the uh, cost equation to the state the li- liability to the state, you know, there's no more takedowns, there's no more holds, you know, uh, uh, no more putting staff and kids at risk um, or that's negligible now and and the kids, instead of having, um, you know, it used to be a third of the kids in, uh, in that system, would wind up incarcerated, a third wound up homeless, and a third wound up marginal. You know, n- not to say there weren't kids who wound up having great lives, but but they were the exceptions. Now there's so many more outcomes that are strong in kids, you know, having, getting back to their core sense of believing in themselves. So, um, you know, this has been put to the test a little bit. And now uh, a couple of other states are following in the foot. Steps of New Jersey, so um, it's you know it started out as my work with ADHD, but it's gone it's gone in two directions that um, I that have my interest. One is the kids who are higher level, and uh, the kids who um, are the kids who aren't acting out the kids who are just plodding along in a normal way and then it 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 began i began to question can we can we up their game too can we take a kid who's not got having any drama and help them flourish and thrive at a greater level too mm-hmm. you know i think our kids you know uh, you look like a person who is is uh, very child centered and very you know, you're, you, you referenced your love language and of appreciation. You know, you, you, that doesn't drop from the sky. That comes from your heart. That comes from you caring deeply. Um, and, uh, you know, probably you care how your kids enter into the world. And, 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 and how they thrive. And I think we, we can't take what our parents gave us as a legacy of parenting, because our world is wound a little tighter. Uh, and, <laughs> and there's a lot more stress going on in the world, and there's a lot more intensity inherent in the world. So maybe we just simply need to um, just, in general, up our game. That's yeah. what I'm hoping for. And, and honoring when you
0: said there's more intensity in the world, people that can handle that intensity are those with the intensive life force, you know. Yeah. And if we squash their potential or their life force, then we, we run the risk of making them into more obedient, uh, right, uh, children and adults that eventually can be what I call replaced by artificial intelligence because they just do what, the, what you tell them to do repeatedly, uh, you know. So, yeah. The ADHD yeah. children will yeah. survive because you can't predict them. They're too impulsive. You know what is he doing now? I don't know. Now he's over there. Now he's over there. Can't copy
1: that, right? That's my little future yeah. theory. Uh, why? Well, that's, an, that, that's an incredible future theory. I, I think. I think you're onto something. Um, a filter that allows you to see that we want our kids to. Um, be unique and irreplaceable yeah i I think we
0: could end with those words. that was beautiful, Howard um, well, I just uh, I want to thank you for taking me on a little journey through uh, you know the nurtured heart approach, and uh, also want to acknowledge you for being a force out there for a stand uh, for relationships, especially between uh, parents and children and I think we 're in the same camp in the same boat. Uh, yeah. And I know our paths will cross again, Uh, but I just want to thank you for your time for this interview. And uh, I really hope our listeners will also look up some of the links that I'm going to share in the show notes, how to uh, learn more about the nurtured heart approach and about yourself and your books. Um, I'm just really excited to share this with the world. So, so thank you for that.
1: Thank you, Roman. And I, I appreciate your, your great level of perspective and your great level of uh, honoring children and your great it reveals the great love in your heart and i i can end with that mm-hmm. i i thank you for a beautiful way of interviewing and and creating space for me to share thank you